Hello, Internet. Welcome back to another edition of Publications with the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science, your semi-regular source of all things astrobiology. I'm your host with the most, Brendan Mullen. Our sponsor today is Seasonal Allergies. Want to experience months of flu-like symptoms without the actual excuse of being sick? Well then try Seasonal Allergies, nature's revenge for global warming. Now, my guest today, very special guest, dear friend of mine, Ravi Koparapu. Now, Ravi, you are a lot of different things. Is that right? I'm looking at this paper we're going to talk about today, and you have five different affiliations. Is there anything in this world that you don't do? I try to uh, solve world hunger, and uh, I moonlight as a, a superhero. Ah, what's your superhero name? Or is that too revealing? Uh, I can't tell. Oh, okay. You, are you Batman? Can you, uh, can you just tell me that much? Yes. yes, Batman. All right, so joining me today in the studio, well, not in the studio, actually, even though, honestly, Robbie, I'm a little disappointed because we live in the same town and we have to do this over Skype, and I was really looking forward to having a guest that didn't sound like he was shouting into a room full of bees. <laughs> I, I really wish we could have done this in person, but anyway, Batman in the studio today. When you're not... Being Batman, Robbie, uh, what else do you do in your life? I love uh, doing outreach, and especially I'd like to, I like um, uh, directing um, uh, plays and documentaries. So that's what I'm, I'm interested in. Nice. Is this a, a part of your your gig with the Department of Geosciences, or through NASA Astrobiology Institute, or Penn State Astrobiology Research Center, or Center for Habitable Worlds, or Blue Marble Space Institute of Science, which brings us here today? Which one of these things most closely fits the bill? I think the BMCs and the Department of Astronomy. If if you wanted to give a quick ten second description of your job, what would it be? exciting and fun and pretty cool than any other job <laughs> awesome glad to hear it anyway let's cut to the chase what we're going to talk about today is your latest paper as far as i know which is habitable zones around main sequence stars dependence on planetary mass this time it's personal part two the reckoning yes <laughs> did i make up that last part is that really part of it that's fine <laughs> <laughs> okay now let's throw it to you ravi habitable zones we've heard so much about them we know generally what they are they're where you might be able to find liquid water on the surface of planets the distance to stars and all that now what have you done what's special about what you've done here this week's this paper is actually a follow-up from our last year's paper on uh, which talks about habitable zones around main sequence stars and the reason why we did this second follow-up paper is because of uh, demand from the community itself. I, I wrote this paper a year ago and did not publish it. <gasps> the world wasn't ready? Yes. Or I wasn't ready, actually. The world was ready. Um, and the reason was, the, uh, to give a brief history, um, Jim Casting, who uh, is my advisor here at Penn State in the Geosciences Department, um, is known for actually uh, estimating these habitable zones around other stars and he wrote a paper with his collaborators uh, 20 years ago in 1993 and for the past 20 years uh, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of exoplanet discoveries and at that time when Jim wrote this paper in 1993 uh, there were no exoplanets uh, discovered around main sequence stars 
And so we thought that when I came here to uh, work with James, we thought that we should probably update the, these estimates since there were many planets discovered right now. And uh, we uh, changed his climate model, updated his climate model, and we wrote a paper about how Hubble zones uh, um, are, uh, are around different types of stars. Mm. And that was last year. Uh, after that, uh, I've gone to a couple of conferences, and many people asked me, "Okay, in your in in your Hubble zones paper, you assumed an Earth mass planet around all different kinds of stars. What happens if you have a super Earth mass planet, like a, a planet that is bigger or more massive than the Earth?" We're and, not talking about like Jupiter or Saturn mass. Here. No, these are terrestrial mass planets. All these, which means that they are probably not more massive than ten times the mass of the Earth or so. <laughs> Only. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so whenever I went to these conferences, people asked about this question, and uh, and the most interesting thing is that most of the exoplanets discovered until now are super Earths because that's what we are sensitive to, mm-hmm. and so it is a very relevant question to do this uh, work. And so we started working on this, and then uh, published this paper. Uh, what is the ha- what are the habitable zones if you have a super Earth or a low mass planet uh, around different kinds of stars? Right, and it doesn't have to do just with the mass of the planet, but the important thing here is the atmosphere, right? That is correct, and how the atmosphere is uh, spread over on the planet also, and what kind of an atmosphere it has also affects the habitable zone limits. Mm. So what, what did you put in this model atmosphere? The model atmosphere we have are um, for the inner edge of the habitable zone, uh, it's mostly water-dominated atmospheres, and the outer edge of the habitable zone, it's mostly CO2, which is carbon dioxide uh, dominated atmospheres. And there is a reason for that. And the um, reason would be something temperature related or? That's correct. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm on fire today, what can I say? This is, maybe you should have, uh, in, I should have interviewed you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, you, so, would, you, would un- you would uncover the, uh, the limits of my knowledge fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> The reason uh, why we do a water-dominated atmospheres and the CO2-dominated atmospheres is the way we do this uh, calculation. So let's take a planet, an Earth-like planet with an Earth-like atmosphere, nitrogen, oxygen, and you know the normal gases that we use uh, that we have in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then what we, when we try to find out the inner edge of the habitable zone, we try to simulate in such a way that we are trying to push the planet closer and closer to the star and see where most of the water on the surface goes into the atmosphere as a water vapor. And when most of that water vapor goes in the atmosphere and there is very little water on the surface, that is the inner edge of the habitable zone. Because the condition for habitability according to what we define is the existence of surface water. And the same thing we do with the outer edge where we take the planet and keep it, uh, move it further away from the star uh, and see and try to maintain um, what uh, the surface water uh, without freezing. So basically what we do is we try to pump enough CO2 in the atmosphere. CO2 is a good greenhouse gas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the global warming. That's, I've heard something about it recently. Yes. I don't really know. <laughs> that's right. So we try to pump enough CO2 in the atmosphere to see how far we can keep uh, um, the plant away from the start and pump the CO2 in the atmosphere and maintain liquid water on the surface. There comes a point that even if you pump enough amount of CO2, any amount of CO2, 
uh, you won't be able to warm the surface. That's because CO2 will form CO2 water, uh, CO2 clouds, and that will reflect the sunlight away, and you won't get any more warming. We're chatting with Ravi Koparapu on his latest work, Habitable Zones Around Main Sequence Stars, Dependence on Planetary Mass. What did you find out about the width of the habitable zone as it relates to the masses of these planets? That's a fantastic question, Brendan. Um, for Earth, compared to the Earth-sized planet, Earth-mass planet, the super-Earth-mass planets have a wider habitable zone. And... Uh, the low mass planets, that is the planet, uh, planets that are uh, smaller in mass than the Earth, they have smaller width habitable zones compared to the Earth. Were you surprised by this result or were you generally expecting something like this? This result is expected and uh, was kind of shown in Jim's 1993 results and it's, uh, not, it was not done uh, in detail but uh, in this paper we dig into more details about why habitable zones are wider around super-earth-mass planets. And the reason is that uh, super-earth-mass planets have higher gravity, so the atmosphere is somewhat, uh, the water-dominated atmospheres are somewhat, uh, have a lower scale height or lower, are more compressed. Whereas for a smaller earth-mass planet, the atmosphere is more puffed up and there will be more water vapor, and so there will be more um, heat trapped, and so they will have a smaller habitable zones there. <laughs> there you have it. This last question is going to be the obvious question for anyone who works with Kepler data or habitable zones is what are the grand implications for finding habitable worlds out there with this result of yours? This result means that there are more habitable, potentially habitable worlds uh, than we expect. Uh, from the Kepler, from Kepler data itself, we can calculate how frequent, how uh, common are these uh, potentially habitable worlds? Uh, not just Earth-like planets, maybe super-Earth planets are also habitable. So that increases the chances of life in the, in the galaxy. Well, that's about all the time we have for today and publications with the Blue Marvel Space Institute of Science. My thanks to Ravi Koparapu. I've been your host, Brendan Mullen. Keep looking for those habitable worlds, everyone. Until next time, stay curious.